Welcome to the Celtics Pride Podcast on the Celtics Blog Podcast feed. I'm your host today, Josh Motanko. My twin brother Adam is out uh, with some health and safety protocols. Yeah, health and safety protocols, exactly. But with me, as always, is Mike Minkoff. Hello, Joshua. I am uh, feeling warmed up uh, despite the winter cold after that Celtics trouncing of the Miami Heat. Yeah, we've we've had a couple trouncings this week. We were three and one in the last week. What have we won? Four of the last five? Is that right, Mike? Four of the last five. I think it's like six of the last nine. Nine of the last thirteen. Uh, and yeah, a lot of a lot of big uh, margins of victory, as you alluded to of late, Josh. It's it's been. Uh, in the aggregate, much less painful to be a Celtics fan of late. Yeah, I feel like two weeks ago on the pod, you asked us, or maybe you just asked me, does it feel like we've turned the season around? Like you had some really good stats about how it looked like we were. And it still kind of, to me, feels like uh, not really. It doesn't really feel like we've turned yeah, any corners I, yet. We're, we're, it's a long, it's a long, long corner. Uh, that's, yeah. I, I, think, I, think, I think we are, you know, if you picture, you know, like a, a track, and for high school running or college running or whatever, you know, like that, if you've ever run 200 meter sprints or 400 meters, you know, when you're taking those turns, all of a sudden that feels a lot longer when you're in full sprint and you're getting tired. It, it's, it's one of those, that turn is just taking its sweet, sweet time for the Celtics to get around, but they're making progress. I would say on that turn. They're yeah. they're starting to you know they were heading in, the, in one direction and they're they're getting to the point where they're almost heading the other direction now. Yeah, it's a wide left. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so we're going to take left. it game by game for you on this podcast. Uh, most recently, with the game that just ended, the win over the Miami Heat, we're going to talk about the last four games. And we're going to go over some notes that we had from the game, as well as talk about some players on the other side of the uh, uh, on the opponents to see, you know, are there anyone, any old friends that we may have seen uh, who used to be on the Celtics? Anyone that we might want for our team currently as the trade deadline approaches um, in February, February 10th? We uh, are going to look at the uh, opposition a little bit. So, Mike, what do you think about the Miami Heat game? Um, I mean, so real quick, the, the Celtics won this game 122 to 92, a nice, uh, you know, very stressful 30 point blowout. Um, they, they led right from the jump, uh, with the, the Celtics starters continuing their trend of really, really strong play. Um, the, the Celtics starters have been absolutely obliterating, uh, other other starting units of late and they're on the season they're they're like main uh starting lineup now has a a net rating of 27.8 of in 200 and nearly 209 minutes playing together Mm -hmm. that is obscenely good i think it's the second best um starting unit or five-man unit in the league with like at least you know 150 to 200 minutes played behind only um Minnesota's starting five, which for some reason is just exceptionally good. Um, uh, so, so the Celtics got out to an early lead, and they just they never really let let up. They they weren't as strong in the second quarter, 
um, with some lackluster play against the zone from a, a unit that included not as much shooting as you want. It, it was kind of that Marcus Smart, Dennis Schroeder pairing that sends so many Celtics fans into conniptions. Uh, but yeah, on the whole, it seemed, I it mean, seemed like, not, not it much seemed like not after to the like. first quarter, we, we, we came out to a strong lead in the first quarter. And, and like a lot of games, that second quarter started and I started to get a little worried. The lead started to slip away a little bit. Yeah, but I mean, it was it got back to 32-32 at one point, um, but that was a pretty short-lived uh, tie. The Celtics immediately went on a 7-0 run. It was 39-32. They ended the quarter up nine, so went into the half with a nine-point lead, and then it came out in the third quarter and just, you know, they, they won the third quarter 40-25, uh, to 25, so stretched that nine-point lead to a 24-point lead uh, going into the fourth. Um so again, I mean, the entire starting five, everyone was at least plus 24 on the game. Uh, Al Horford with that, that quote unquote low plus minus of plus 24. Um, Tatum was plus 30. Tatum with another super well-rounded game with 20 points, 12 boards, five assists. Uh, Marcus yeah. Smart with 16 points and seven assists. Um Horford and, and Time Lord each had two blocks. You know, the the team, that, that starting unit has figured out how to play with one another at an extremely high level, which is really, really exciting. Um, and they, they, you know, we're seeing uh, how beneficial uh, good health and, and some rhythm can be. Um, so, you know, I think one of the things that was most encouraging to me about this game against the Heat was the Heat came out Again, uh, against the Celtics, started the the played basically zone for the entire first half, yep. and the Celtics have clearly figured out, at least relative to you know most of last year and points throughout the first part of this year, uh, they've they've much improved breaking a zone defense. Um, the Celtics were kind of unfathomably bad against zone uh, for long stretches of the past year and season and a half. Um, and finally understood, you know, you have to pop into the middle of the zone, get the ball quickly, move it quickly, get it to the other side, get the zone kind of uh, in motion, uh, create create cracks that you can then kind of penetrate through and get uncontested mid-range jump shots or, or pull the, the guy closest to the hoop up so that you can get it like to rob for a dunk, whatever the case may be. Uh, the Celtics are finally kind of getting uh, good, consistent good looks against the zone in a way that for whatever reason they could not for for a very long time so uh that was promising the heat came out in the second half in man instead um and that didn't slow the celtics down at all so you know i think i think there's some really positive signs all of that said you know it should be noted that miami was without like three or four of its top five players they yeah. didn't have Jimmy Butler. They didn't have Kyle Lowry. They didn't have Mar- uh, Markeith Morris. They didn't have PJ Tucker. So um, that you know, Miami still was the the top team in the conference, and they've they've been winning whoever's out there. So uh, you you have to take a little bit away from the Celtics, but you should also commend the Celtics for uh, putting together a really complete performance against uh, a team that's always exceptionally well prepared and and well coached with with Eric Spolster at the helm. Yeah, I mean, they came into this game number one in the Eastern Conference, and they left this game number two in the Eastern Conference. They um, did, and yeah. just on that, uh, the Celtics miraculously, inexplicably, 
are, I think now, still only six games back of first place in the Eastern Conference, despite all of the ups, the five and a half, despite yep. all the ups and downs of this season. Um, that is, that is uh, uh, one of the, one of Earth's greatest mysteries. They're also two games above 500 after this win for the first time since, guess. Do you I know, know, I was just looking when? it up. You just looked it up? Yeah, since I, yeah. December 4th. Yeah. Almost two months ago when the Celtics were 13 and 11. It is obscene. That's your best uh, stat of the podcast, Mike. Uh, it, it is so insane. Uh, man, so if, if it feels like it's been a long time since the Celtics have, have been this far past the, two, the 500 mark, it's because it has been. Yeah. And we can pause right there and let that soak in, I think. Yeah, I think the it, points that you were making does, about the starting it, as, lineup. As it soaks um, in, does it feel good or does it feel bad? <laughs> yeah, it's a little of both, a little of both, not going to lie. Um, but, Mike, I think the point that you were making about the starting lineup, I mean, this kind of coincides with when Marcus Smart kind of came back into the lineup. Um, and, you know, just when you look at that starting lineup with Tatum and Brown and Smart in the backcourt and uh, Horford and Rob Williams in the front court, like, it kind of makes me cringe a little bit, you know, because of that double big lineup, but it has been really successful. It is our most trust, trustworthy lineup. Um, and, and they're finally back together. I mean, we've had feels like almost two years of not, or maybe even three years of not having our best lineups as much as we'd wanted them, wanted to have them. And we're finally putting a little string together of some games. Every single game this week, at least has been, with that starting lineup and, and it's been a much better week to be a Celtics fan for sure. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, you're, you're, you're spot on. I don't, I don't have the exact numbers. Uh, <laughs> uh, Ryan Bernardoni or danger Card at danger card on Twitter tweeted out. I think this is a two or three weeks ago. He, he maintains a spreadsheet of like sell available Celtics players and, and reasons when they're unavailable, why they're unavailable. And um, the, the, brevity or the the <laughs> the extent to which we did not have kind of our, our core players all healthy at the same time far outnumbered the the number of times we had everybody healthy over the last you know 18 months or whatever whatever it's been two seasons um and certainly the consistency of having everyone available of late has been uh tremendous and yeah uh you you touched on marcus smart i'm sure we'll bring him up a more than a few times this podcast because he's been uh, tremendous kind of being that glue guy and connector that that we've been talking about. I feel like his overall shot volume has has been much lower, especially since he returned from COVID. Uh, he's been getting, you know, seven plus assists a game uh, in this recent stretch. He had 12 assists going, you know, against New Orleans, um, which we'll talk about that game a little bit more shortly. Um, and then, of course, you know, Tatum seems to be going into his like all NBA gear that for whatever reason he saves for the last 40 percent of the season and, and decides not to do it for the first two and a half months. But I'd rather he do it for part of the season than none of the season. So, yeah. And then, you know, as the trade deadline approaches, was there anyone on the other side of the ball that you liked tonight? Anyone that caught your eye? Um, I mean, uh, I. I, I'll need to preface this by like the trade deadline for the Celtics is going to be an interesting one. I think we're going to have a, a more dedicated conversation about the trade deadline 
in our, our next episode, which will be our last one before the actual trade deadline hits. Um, but, you know, I don't I don't expect the Celtics to make any major mo- moves. Uh, there was a, a tweet from Mark Stein earlier today, today being Monday, indicating that um, the Celtics are likely to move Dennis Schroeder, uh, assume if they can find a place to basically offload him without taking any salary back in return. Um, uh, and Brian Winhorts on the on the on his podcast, the Hoop Collective, last Friday had indicated that you know there's there's kind of murmurs about Cleveland being a landing spot for him, and they just got a disabled player exception uh, for the Rubio injury, which Schroeder can also oh conveniently fit comfortably into. So there's probably something there that that could happen. Um, Beyond that, I don't expect the Celtics to make a ton of moves or, or major moves. So wait, I, wait, 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 wait. I offer that. Yeah, it, that's. I need to comment on that. There is definitely something going on, in my opinion, with Dennis Schroeder. Uh, I think he will be traded. I think it's imminent. If you look at how many minutes he's played, I keep looking at box scores because I've been doing that since I was 12 years old, and I'm like, man, Schroeder only played 17 minutes tonight. New Orleans only 16 minutes. Atlanta, he only played 15 minutes against his old team. Sacramento, he only played 16 minutes, and that was a blowout. He could have played a lot in that game if he, if he wanted him to. The last four games, he's played under 20 minutes each game. Two games before that, 22 and 22 minutes. You know, and this is a guy who's averaging 27 minutes a game. Um, so I think yeah, that's and if you a look sign at of his, things to come. His splits, so his, if you, yeah, if you look at his splits um, just, you know, by month, he averaged about 33 minutes a game in each, uh, actually a little over 33 minutes a game in each of October and November. Uh, that was down to about 30 minutes a game in December. And, and now it's, you know, a, a little under 27 minutes a game in January. And as you noted, that that's falling quickly. Um, I think some of that, some of those numbers got skewed just from health, health reasons, right? When Jalen Brown was out, sure. Marcus Smart was out, Schroeder was playing a lot more, but um, I, I think, you're right. I think it's also there's some writing on the wall here, and Truder's not long for the Celtics. And it's, I know at least among uh, conversations you and I have had, Josh, and uh, also a lot of chatter I've seen on the Celtics blog Slack, certainly there there's uh, there won't be a lot of tears shed. I think should Dennis Schroeder, uh find himself on another team by come February 11th. Um, well, it's it's one of two things happening. It's either that a trade is imminent, which is what I think is going on. Or it's that Ime Adoka is seeing what all the fans and all the Celtics blog writers have been seeing this whole time, which is, you know, it's time to give this guy a little bit less minutes. And I just can't fathom that a rookie coach is going to make that choice um, kind of under his own volition. You know what I mean? I think something is afoot, as they say. Yeah, well, so I I just, I brought all of that up about kind of the trade, my my thinking on the trade deadline and and you know the what i think is likely for schroeder to move because i don't think the celtics are going to do much beyond that um so you know any guy people i'm i'm talking about here on on miami that i think are interesting is because i think they're interesting more so than because i think the celtics are gonna really target them or or acquire them this deadline um, yeah. So with all of that said, you wait, know, wait, wait, one more thing before we yeah, go into go that. Ahead. Go now ahead. that we brought up Schroeder leaving, if he's leaving, I, a lot of people are going to make the assumption that Peyton Pritchard would step into his backup point guard role and that he's actually played well enough to deserve those minutes and a bigger, you know, bigger time out on the court. 
I actually think that um, that our backup point guard role is going to be filled by somebody else. I think. Do you, can you guess who I think it is? Well, I'm pretty sure I know who it is. So do you, do you want me to give it away, or do you want? To, yeah, give it away. I, uh, Josh Richardson. Yeah, I think Josh Richardson can play the one. I, I think that especially off the bench, he's someone who, along with Smart, is going to uh, be able to give us like defensive versatility, and and he's already a guy who's who Coach Udoka is leaning on more and more each game. Um, and I feel like as a facilitator, he's not a high assist guy, but he's someone who's going to try to make the right play and really cares about doing that, it seems. Um, and I think that we're actually going to be way better off with him coming in off the bench to to run the point than, uh, than either Peyton Pritchard or Dennis Schroeder. What do you think? Yeah, I, 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 think, I think there's a, a decent to good probability that you're you're correct and i i base that simply off of, i mean i agree i think richardson could do a fine job in the role you know he's not he's not a particularly high level ball ball handler or playmaker he's he's solid in those those roles he plays with good energy and pace which i think is really important for the, how the celtics are trying to play um and he he does a good job of like cutting into the heart of the defense uh, from the from the wings pretty consistently, which is which is <laughs> maybe uh, I, I think safe to say not something Schroeder does uh, very aggressively uh, with consistency. Um, and the other thing that I think is a tell on this is you know Pritchard really has been pretty buried in the rotation um, mm-hmm. despite you know Schroeder's diminishing role and and guys like Neesmith and and Langford continue to get run ahead of him off the bench. And so, you know, I think, I think there's a couple of things going on there, but I think it, it suggests for whatever reason, Ime doesn't have a ton of faith in Pritchard being in a more prominent role. Um, and, and I think Ime also has a real desire to be able to play this highly switchable uh, unit. And, you know, Pritchard's a smaller guy. He, he holds his own defensively pretty well. Uh, for his size, but he's mm-hmm. still not as switchable as either Langford or Neesmith. Mm-hmm. So um, I think for all those reasons, uh, there's a lot of uh, a, a lot of reason to think that might indeed be the case. Um, and he may also plays extremely short rotations. Um, so it, it's not like if we get rid of Schroeder, all of a sudden, like all three of the young guys are going to get more more runtime. It's no, but I think if you by play, one or one and a half guys, yeah. But if you play Richardson at the one, now all of a sudden there's more time for both Langford and Neesmith, which I think I agree. No, I, I think I think that's right. Yeah, I th- I think I could totally see that, especially if we don't bring back an inexpensive point guard at the trade right. deadline that that we feel like fits what we're trying to do. Um, and I have no idea who that would be, unless somehow we can make a play for someone like Brunson who's on a very low value deal right now uh, and would be, I would be ecstatic if we somehow brought him in, but I have no idea what, how we would do so unless Dallas really liked Neesmith or Langford for some reason. Um, yeah. So, okay. To get back to your question <laughs> um, on the heat, you know, I think, I think there's two guys that, play similar basically the same role fill the same lane for the heat um one of them is much more expensive than the other one uh that other one was formerly on the celtics um 
as a two-way player and on the Celtic Summer League. Uh, you know who I'm talking about, Josh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Duncan Robinson guy. and your guy, Max Struess. Um, Struess! So, you know, it would be great to have either of them. I mean, the Celtics really like Struess, and they, as, as they noted on the broadcast today, they just they went with Javante Green over Struess. Javante Green, also an NBA caliber player. So, um, that you know, they had an, a, a veritable embarrassment of riches, let's say. Uh, but the Celtics could use uh, a knockdown shooter that that kind of consistently runs uh, around the court and, you know, has has a ton of gravity. I think Struess is appealing and maybe more so than than Robinson in that. I think he's a bit of a tougher player, like physically tougher, yeah. um, uh, has a higher defensive ceiling. Um, and there, it's not clear that Robinson is ever is going to consistently be like the insanely elite shooter that he was those first couple of years where he kind of shot out of a cannon onto the NBA landscape. He's kind of come back to earth a little bit. Yeah. Um, and if he's not shooting at that insane level, his defensive liabilities become uh, a bit more concerning. Plus he makes a lot more money. So, you know, in my pie in the sky ideal world, yeah, I'd love to have a guy like Max Struess. Uh, that said, the odds of the Celtics and Heat making a deal on that basis, I, I'd put between zero and zero. No. Yeah, this isn't about the Celtics getting him. This is just about uh, admiring what's on the other side of the ball as the trade deadline approaches. And my yeah. guy, Max Struess, he played 40 minutes tonight. He was 9 of 19 from the field. Nine of seventeen from three, fifty-two percent with twenty-seven points. I always knew we should have taken him instead of Javante Green with that two-way spot. Uh, but alas, both are gone, and both are playing well with someone else. Um, I know there's a lot of tweets uh, around Celtics Twitter talking about all these guys the Celtics have let go that we shouldn't have let go, and oftentimes they're guys who we actually shouldn't have let go. And then other times it's guys that we maybe should have let go at the moment. And they ended up doing well somewhere else. I feel like Struess goes into that category. Uh, Garrison Matthews goes into that category. I always wanted Desmond Bain and want, and thought that we should have kept him way back when, but um, you did. I, 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 you, I remember you saying his name well before the draft. So I'll, I've, I've got your back on that one, Josh. And, and Max Struess is not someone that we should be upset about. Here comes another one that we let go. Like, he's not one of those. Uh, so don't feel that way, fans. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I mean, obviously the, the Heat were um, without a bunch of really good players that we could have buyer. Uh, but was there anybody else that caught your eye? Gabe Vincent didn't catch your eye tonight? Starting no, not, neither neither yeah. Gabe Vincent nor Kyle Guy nor uh, <laughs> uh, Dwayne Deadman. Um, none none of those guys uh, were revving my engine. I you know I I don't. We we were really looking at the dregs of the the, the Heat roster um, with with so many of their their core rotation players injured. Actually, Caleb Martin looked pretty good. Yeah, he, he was, was the feisty. one I was going to mention. Yeah, he was feisty. He's got, he was pretty fun. Um, so so I you know I I wouldn't mind a guy like him on the the roster though. He's not much of a kind of he doesn't have much gravity from from outside, and I I don't think we need kind of semi confident 
uh, three-point shooting wings right now. Like, I, I no. think we've got enough feistiness from the wing. I think I think if we're going to add another kind of wing, you know, guy that can play either the two-three or the three-four, uh, I'd like him to be a really good shooter. Yeah, I, I think it's always there's certain franchises I like to pay attention to, and the Miami Heat are one of them in terms of who do they pick up for personnel. Miami Heat have a really specific type of culture that where they really want you to play hard. They expect you to be in tip-top shape, and they even have body fat content measurements that you have to get under to play there. Um, and like when Max Struess was picked up by them, I was like, you know, I know he's a good shooter, but he never seemed to me like one of the most in shape guys in the league or anything. It seems like that's what the heat are always looking for, but you know, and they're also looking for guys who are really tough. So they have kind of check boxes. I feel like that they check off. And so seeing guys like Strews or one of the Martin twins on their roster, it kind of just solidifies um, that they, that those guys just know how to play. Like the Martin brothers, they just cut so hard. Um, They really play their balls off. It's, it's just fun to watch those types of guys. Like, would I choose them over the guys we have? Not necessarily. Maybe Romeo. Like when Romeo plays so relaxed and kind of casual. Uh, yeah, that's style, fair. I would I but, would prefer you know Caleb. What I, mean? what I saw from Caleb over Romeo this season. Yeah. Uh, I agree. Ro- Romeo's nonchalance is uh, getting pretty frustrating. Um, but the, this discussion of Martin and, and the brought, brought up a couple of thoughts that, that you know, you are particularly well-suited to address for those as that, a twin for what as a twin for that might not know so caleb uh his tw- twin brother cody martin plays for the hornets both of them were on the hornets to start their careers uh this uh, caleb getting traded to miami was the best thing that happened to either of them because they were indistinguishable like physically and in terms of their their performance on the court like it was impossible. No one, I, I certainly, no one that wasn't closely following the Hornets could knew anything to differentiate <laughs> the two. I feel like, um, and you know, I think, I think Caleb's really showed out with his feistiness, his ability to fit into heat culture. So my question, Josh, for you as a twin and without Adam here to defend himself is which Martin brother, do you think you're, you're more like, and Oh, why? am I more like, yeah. Um, if, if one is kind of, you know, cause I would, I would say, well, no, let, I'll let you answer this without, without pre-biasing your answer. Yeah. You're assuming that I know as a twin, which Martin brother is which. And uh, unfortunately twins don't have a better radar for telling other twins apart. No, well, you know, you know, Caleb Martin is on the heat yeah. and Cody Martin is, on. I know the that that's all you need to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know that. Um, one of them is a better three point shooter. I can't remember which one. But it was like one of they're both play really hard. They came into the league out of Nevada, and one of them was kind of seen as more offensive oriented uh, and a better three point shooter. And I actually can't remember which one was which. Um, and now that they are playing on separate teams, I feel like they're both just playing really well. Like they both stepped up their game. Um, so I, I actually I can't answer the question about which one am I more like. I can give uh, the feedback that uh, like growing up, Adam always cared about winning the one-on-one matchups a little bit more than I did. Like I was out there to have fun and yes. Okay. I wanted so to Adam, Adam is Brooke Lopez and you're Robin Lopez. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe I think Adam was better when we were younger, but I've got him nowadays and longevity wise. I mean, it's just a no brainer that I'm the better on the court, but, and I think that he would probably 
agree to that but you know like we're 40 years old now <laughs> so who cares you're entering you're entering your prime you're entering yeah. your prime um, um, the, I, I do think it's really interesting as a twin that these two guys i mean they went their entire lives this is the first time they've ever played on a different basketball team from each other well the 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 Mori, the the morris brothers had a similar start to their careers right they yeah. both went to kansas and they both were on phoenix and then um then then finally what was it i think uh markeith got traded to washington uh if i'm remembering correctly and and then they started beefing with phoenix and you know now now they've both made their rounds around the league but it it was similar with them so it, it's it's pretty interesting watching the the kind of uh evolution of uh of kind of or the the twin paths of twins in the nba um all right so we've we've spent a lot of time on miami should we should we hop to some of the other games this week yeah no twins on the new orleans pelicans uh, also no zion and no brandon ingram for the game with the celtics um it was what a 10 point win or so um, it was but we were up 17 with like two minutes to go um so it was a pretty a pretty solid win and then the the pelican scored like seven garbage yeah. time points without response yeah, and that I mean that was just an undermatched team. Even I think even with their two stars, like that, that's kind of just a team that is a bottom feeder and needs to continue to draft well. I think they did a really good job by picking Herb Jones in the second round and Trey Murphy in the first. I would love to have Herb out. Jones on our team. Goodness, Man, he's he's a he is a phenomenal defender. He just he's a he's a difference maker on the defensive end of the court. And he plays hard and he can pass too. I mean, so, yeah. and, and he's a guy who was thought of as someone who could not shoot. And nowadays in the he's NBA. He's kind of like, what nowadays, do you think of this player comp? Hold on, hold on. We'll get to the player comp. We'll get to the player comp because I've got one for him too. We, he's a guy who came into the, into the draft. He could not shoot at all, like at all, at all. And nowadays you can enter into the NBA as a complete non-shooter and learn how to shoot. It's really remarkable how the NBA coaching has helped players along with that given the expectations. Um, and Herb Jones was a guy who played the one, the two, the three, the four uh, in college. And I think he's the, one of the few guys in the entire league that can play all five positions. Um, the last player to win defensive player of the year and player of the year in the SEC was? Herb Jones. Robert Williams before Herb oh, Jones. Did it. All right, there we go. And that was like the main reason I was like, I know Danny's thinking this. Danny knows that Robert Williams was the last guy to do it. And he took him like, he's got to take Herb Jones here and nothing. You know, we couldn't get a late first round pick to, to steal this guy. Um, so I've been pretty disappointed. I've got a really good player comp for him. What is yours? The, does yours, was yours also a one once upon a time on the Utah jazz? Yeah. You're Andre not going to say Andre Kirilenko. Oh, oh yeah. I am. Come on, man. Yeah. He isn't, yeah, yeah. He, he's the AK-47. And if you just yeah. look at his stats, you can see it. You don't even need to watch him play. He gets assists, he gets steals, he gets rebounds, he gets points. I mean, he does a little bit of everything. He's just an amazing stat. Yeah, but I mean, he's levels. he's got a similar build. He's very slight, very athletic, extremely quick and, and kind of long. Um, yeah. And yeah, just kind of has this like preternatural defensive feel and and always hustling and, and kind of yeah, just making things happen on the court. He has been very impressive to watch. I, I mean, I was a little, I was more impressed with him in the game we played a couple weeks ago. I thought he just had a really notable imprint in that game. Uh, but he did a lot of good things in this game too. Um, it, it, yeah, he's he's very impressive. A little old for a rookie, twenty three years old, but 
but right. very impressive. Which is, is, I think, another reason why he slipped into the second round. A lot of yeah. people are, are down on older rookies. But I like Davion Mitchell. I like Herb Jones. I like Desmond Bain. I like the old guys who are coming out. Uh, I didn't like Carson Edwards. But, <laughs> uh, Mike, how, what did you think of our the Celtics ball movement in the New Orleans game? In the New Orleans game, um, it was also, I mean, it was also really quite, quite good. Uh, as I, as I said earlier, Marcus Smart had 12 assists. I mean, you know, the, they did, they faced some zone against the the Pelicans as well. I think that slowed them down a little bit. Um, but they're, you know, the, the offense is doing a lot more at bringing like Robert Williams up at, to the top of the key to help to help get some ball movement. Obviously, Jason Tatum's been pretty effusive recently in his uh, praise of, of Robert Williams and, and how much he liked playing with Robert Williams, just his ability to dive to the hoop um, and, and be a vertical threat, his ability to kind of quickly pass the ball if you, you know, if, if he is rolling into that kind of you know, mid mid post area or, or right in the heart of the lane. He can, he just has such a good court sense and awareness, his ability to kind of reverse the, the court and, and get it to the other side, you know, the other corner um, instantly is generates a lot of kind of open looks out of the corners or, or uh, gets the defense and in, in a heavy rotation so that you can open up a, a good look after a few more swings. So um, I think, the Celtics have really leveraged um, again, particularly that starting unit. And, and I would say really, <laughs> I mean, especially these recent games where Schroeder, Schroeder seems like one of those guys where if he's not getting kind of starter run um, and his splits between being a starter and coming off the bench are, are insane this year. So like everybody other than Schroeder, has I think been really good at playing within the Celtic system and doing what Ime wants to do. Uh, Schroeder coming off the bench is still a bit of a ball stopper. Um, he still plays with a lackadaisical energy. I think that was we saw that uh, against the Heat tonight. We saw that against the Pelicans as well. We saw that against Atlanta going back. So him being the exception, I think the ball movement was quite good. What did you see, Josh? Yeah, I thought the ball movement was good in that game. I, I thought the ball movement was actually really good in the Atlanta game too, despite the loss. I feel like the first three quarters were really great. Like Tatum and Brown were really driving and, and looking for their teammates. I think that they, it feels like Tatum specifically is really intent on showing the haters up that like he's, he hears that everybody thinks he can't facilitate, can't make his teammates better. He hears the former All-Stars saying it, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish, like all these guys are coming out of the woodwork now saying, you know, these two guys, they don't make their teammates better. And and I think over the last two weeks and really over the last few games, he's trying to get more assists. He's trying to make the right play more often. And now it's almost like a matter of whether the guys are going to make that shot or not. Um, but I thought through, through three quarters in the Atlanta game, they both did well, Tatum and Brown, uh, in terms of that skill. And then just in the fourth quarter, they didn't, you know, it was like, Another one of those games that we've seen over and over again, where they play three great quarters and then you know lay a complete goose egg in the the fourth quarter. I mean, Trey Young took a charge on Jalen Brown in the fourth quarter with five minutes left of the Atlanta game. You know, just because it's just so obvious, Jalen Brown when he's driving, even when he drives to pass, he continues running or he jumps to pass, and you can easily slide over and take a charge on him. Uh, but and then you know we kind of got caught up in the ISO ball thing again when the game was close. 
So I think so, that's kind of the next level is we need to be tested by close games and see if we actually revert back to that hero ISO ball stuff, or if we keep doing what was working throughout the game to get us, you know, the leads. Well, so, and I think, I mean, I agree that that's ultimately the test for this team. Right. And my theory is it'll be a mixed bag for a little while still. Right. Right. I mean, Josh, you've talked about, uh, for years how, you know, learning is not linear. Yeah. Um, things start to click or like things like don't seem like they're clicking and they're kind of stuck in mud for a while. And then all of a sudden something clicks and there's like a big pronounced improvement. I think we're seeing like one of those clicks and yeah. the way the ball, the team is moving the ball. And like we're, we're, we're playing with enough consistency now where we're starting to build really good habits, but we're still the same team that we were four weeks ago, six weeks ago. Right. Like these guys didn't completely change, you know, change their stripes overnight. Um, so there are going to be games when we get back into those high leverage moments where they slip back into bad habits. But at least now they've kind of, you know, they had the experience of losing the frustration of losing, which has helped them refine their focus, um, bring a, a renewed sense of intention and purpose into their action more and more consistently. We're seeing that play out over the court. In the month of January, the Celtics had the second best net rating in the NBA behind only the Phoenix Suns, who are playing insane. But the Celtics had a, a plus 9.2 net rating for the month of January. It wasn't against the hardest competition, sure, but they've been absolutely suffocating defensively, the best defense in the league this month. Um, they have a top 10 offense for the month, which for the Celtics is huge accomplishment. Um, and it's, you know, they've had, in the, what they've won by like i think chris forsberg tweeted out uh earlier tonight they've averaged uh their average margin of victory in these four recent wins was like 30.4 points per game hmm. right like these to me are signs that the celtics are starting to pl- you know apply these good habits with consistency that that's how you generate those blowout victories Right. If you think back even to the beginning of the season, the Celtics would play well for like a quarter and then they would play terribly for a quarter and a half. And then they play well for six minutes and then they, you know, probably lose in the fourth quarter. Um, <laughs> and and now we're seeing them not even get in these close games. So this is a long way of saying I I don't think the Celtics are solved. They haven't fully turned that corner where I have confidence they're going to execute and make the right decision in high leverage moments consistently. Um, but I think we're we're finally at a point where the team is able to have some real foundation that it can stand stand on and build upon, uh, so that you know maybe in a couple months, maybe next season, you know this core will have the experience and know how of how to execute. Um, in those high leverage situations and, and we'll have the good habits established that they can fall back on. Yeah. And until then it's kind of tease after tease after tease, but yep. maybe one of these teases is a learning leap moment uh, and the beginning of like a step up to the next step where it's like a real vertical graph and all of a sudden you're up at the next step in your development. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot to be optimistic about here with this team. Um, but let's let's take one more moment to focus a little bit on the one blemish of the week, the Atlanta Hawks game. 
I mean, we really got killed by Trey Young and John Collins. I feel like John Collins is, he's not just like a borderline star player, but uh, I mean, with the deadline coming up, he's someone who's rumored to be available. Um, I think that John Collins has kind of the offensive skills that as athletic as he is, and as much as his game is predicated on athleticism, I feel like he has enough ball handling, passing, and shooting skills to have like an entire second iteration of his career once he loses his hops. Um, and I think he's so. Well, he's savvy like a forty percent three point shooter. He's yeah. I mean, it's it's absurd. He's got like Robert Williams leaping ability, but he can shoot out from three. He's not nearly the defensive presence or player that Robert Williams is. But so I'm not I'm not making an apples to apples comparison there. It's just from an athleticism pers- uh, perspective. Uh, I agree. His offensive skill is is crazy. Yeah, I and I like looking at players and seeing what they're going to look like when they don't look like themselves anymore. Like I remember when I was like halfway through LeBron's first decade in the league, you know, once he really ascended to the level that we all thought he would get to, I was like, this dude is not only unstoppable in this role, but I feel like he, you know, like even when he loses all his quickness and, and athleticism, I feel like he's got the potential in the body to be like a Carl Malone in the paint. Yeah, except you know, an elite be, passer right. as well. <laughs> and and like kind of look at what we're seeing now from LeBron where like he's kind of a Magic Johnson out there. He's kind of a Carl Malone where he's except, you know, if Carl Malone was playing today, he'd be shooting threes instead of 18 footers and hitting them at a really high clip. And look at what LeBron's doing right now. He's got that weird one footed step back three that's now yeah, going he's like, in at he's a like an old rate. he's like an old Jason Kidd in Carl Malone's body. Yeah. And so when you look at John Collins, I, I, you know, like obviously John Collins, some people don't even think he's a star right now. And I'm like, not only is he a borderline star or a star, but I feel like he's going to age really well. He's going to be really switchable, really versatile. He's going to be someone, even when he's older, who I think can guard the perimeter and the post just because of his size is like the perfect combo of those. Um, I think he's someone that would be a great pickup, you know, for, for years to come and, and would be sustainable for a long time. Yeah, I mean, certainly looking, you know, just by the numbers, he's he's a very attractive target. It it's interesting to me that he's like reportedly available at all for all the reasons you just said. Like I'm not it it, it makes me wonder if there's a little bit more going on behind the scenes there. Um that that would lead to him even being available cuz he, you know, he's not on an on an insane contract. He's what, like twenty-four years old or whatever, and um, he he's got all of this skill as an offensive player, and he seems to complement, you know, his ability to dive and and you know play above the rim seems to be a really nice compliment and shoot from three. Both yeah. are are really nice compliments to like Trey Young as a as a creator and and shooter himself. Um, so. You know, it makes it maybe it's just a conflict of personalities between Collins and Trey Young. And Trey Young said he wants Collins gone. Uh, maybe it's just they 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 like Okongwu and they like Capella, and so they just feel like they don't need Collins and can get a good player in return. I don't know. Um, well, because on paper to me, Collins seems like you know he'd be a great person to play, you know, next to Robert Williams and the Jays. Right. Yeah. Like that would be totally. an ideal fit. Um, that's I don't know how we would get him without giving up at least someone like Marcus Smart. And I would hate hate to do that. Like 
somehow I'd love to pair him with the Jays and Robert Williams and Marcus Smart, but you know. Um, well, let me ask you. Well, I I have a theory on this. I think it goes back to like who is Trey Young on the court, really? Like a lot of people look at him and compare him to Steve Nash, or the obvious one is Steph Curry. And I keep thinking, like, what's the difference between Trey Young and Steph Curry? Why does one guy seem like he's the funnest player to play with in the league, and the other guy actually kind of seems like he's the least fun player to play with in the NBA? That'd be Trey Young. I mean, I mean, there are a number. There are a number of reasons. Do you, do you want me to answer? Or do you want to answer? <laughs> well, let me give my answer, and, and yeah, go and for then it. You can add to it if you want. Um, Trey Young, like their skill set, Trey Young and Steph Curry is so identical. They can both shoot from anywhere. They can both average 11, 12 assists per game if they wanted, you know, and really make their teammates better. But one guy moves the ball and doesn't hold it. The other guy just dribbles and dribbles and dribbles. Like Trey Young, I think he's averaging six seconds per possession of holding the ball. And then the most dribbles of anybody in the NBA when they have it, maybe aside from James Harden, you know, and, and Steph Curry isn't, you know, in the top five of those you know, because Steph Curry understands how to move it, how to move the ball and get off of it. And that's really what makes guys fun to play with, you know, or not, I feel like. And I wouldn't be surprised if John Collins behind the scenes is just tired of playing with Trey Young, who's not only is he going to dribble it up and jack a three, like without any ball movement, but even when there is ball movement, it's after him just working it, dribbling and pounding the ball or holding it for a long time. And it, it's, that has to be frustrating. <laughs> no, I mean, I think you you definitely need certain types of players. I, I think back to like those um those seventy sixers teams that they built with Larry Brown around Allen Iverson. Yeah, right. When you have these like highly ball dominant players, like your best bet for success for like sustained success is put people that like literally can't function with a ball in their hand but play great defense around them and that's why that those teams had eric snow and Derek mckee like those teams were offensively incompetent beyond Allen iverson so he could literally hold the ball for all 42 minutes he was on the court um and nobody was clamoring for it so i think there's probably something to your theory there josh um and i'm sure john collins gets frustrated playing uh with trey i i mean the, <laughs> there are so many reasons that steph curry uh, must be eminently more likable I, I you certainly hit on a key one i mean steph moves without the ball he at least tries on defense he seems like he has like emotionally emotional intelligence and like can actually relate with uh, his teammates whereas trey seems not, not not to be the most socially adept person from like the interviews I've seen of him. He seems a little clueless at like what makes other people tick in general. Um, so, so yeah. So we should make I, a I would, list of all the players that can't dribble like semi Ojale but play great defense and, and try to get the Hawks to add them to their roster. That's yeah, that that's what, uh, that's what Travis Schlank should target. Get, just get a roster full of shemmies. Yeah. Now, having said that, I actually really like Trey Young. I actually think he's really tough. I think he's really savvy and really smart. The play where he went to the free throw line because he should have gotten a foul called on him uh, or for him to, to get shots in, in our game. And then, you know, kind of like saw, and, and then I think uh, John Collins got the ball and then got a foul um, 
And so John Collins was the one going to the free throw line, but Trey Young just kind of walked up there and stood at the free throw line, like in protest to the refs. Um, I thought that was like brilliant genius kind of stuff. Like, like playing it off, like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not the one at the free throw line. Oh, oh, I didn't realize it. You know, that kind of stuff. Like I, I like that stuff about Trey Young. I think that, that that stuff is going to win games. Um, and, and I think that he can lead a team to, you know, contender status and be consistent. He just has to figure a couple things out first. But my question to you, Mike, if you had to, I know you're someone who, if, if you got to trade Tatum or Brown, which would you trade? You've chosen Brown. Would you trade Jalen Brown to his hometown of Atlanta for Trey Young? If the trade was on the table. Um, oof. I mean, I think, uh, I think Atlanta Trey, would have to consider it just I, because I, of who I, I don't think Brown I don't think it, I don't think Atlanta would. To I be agree. Honest. Like um, I don't think either team would. I think, yeah. I, so I think the Celtics would be objectively better if they made that trade. I also think there would be resist. I would. Well, I know I would resist it. I mean. Getting a guy like Trey Young just rinse and repeat our cycle of small point guards that don't play defense, um, right. which which would be you know it, it would be completely incompatible with um, Ime system. I think Trey Young and and Tatum would have a tough time coexisting because Tatum would really have to go to a complementary mode uh, and be far less on ball than he's become accustomed to um, certainly while the two of them are sharing the court. Um, so it would be, it, it wouldn't be an ideal fit from a number of perspectives, but all of that said, Trey young is like an insane offensive force unto himself. And, you know, that trade would, would solve a lot of our offensive issues um, pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah. So I would have mixed feelings about it. I think the objective GM in me would say, yes, I do that trade. Uh, but the uh, emotional GM in me that also wants a certain type of aesthetic to the basketball I watch would uh, both on offense and defense would not be too excited about it. What about you? Yeah. Uh, it's one that gave me pause when I thought about it. And I thought about, you know, Jalen Brown being from that area it was one that was like, I think both teams would have to consider this. I don't think either team would do it. And would I do it? I don't know. It gives me pause. I might do it. You know, like I I think Trey Young is such an impactful player and he's so smart and savvy. I mean, obviously as a coaching staff and a G and a, and a front office, you'd have to get together and say, can we make a trade for somebody that the coaching staff is going to have to cover up extensively on defense? Um, and so that's, you know, like the same conversation with Isaiah Thomas or Kyrie Irving or Campbell Walker, right? Like that, those are, that's the kind of conversation you're in, except it might be even worse for Trey Young. Trey Young, well, maybe, maybe just like Tatum, Trey Young has, is a guy who's proven that he's going to play a certain way throughout the year. And then when the game is really on the line, like, can you, if, if Trey Young is in the Eastern Conference finals and he needs to make a big defensive play or go take a charge. I would think that he's competitive enough that that's the time he would actually do that and step up to the plate defensively. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And and there's also one huge difference with Trey Young and like Kemba Walker, 
right? And, like, they're both facilitating really, really substantial minuses on defense. Um, I mean, Kemba competed. I loved how he competed on D and he took charges and all of that. But I always, you know, maintained my, and my, my concern with Kemba was like, if you're going to be a, a minus defender and a, you know, a small point guard, you have to be like an insanely positive offensive contributor. Right. And I would like draw a comparison to Steph Curry and be like, you know, Steph Curry's, you know, offensive rating or offensive contributions are like off the charts. Trey Young's offensive ratings and offensive contributions are off the charts. So it, it makes up it, he's good enough on offense that you can you can get away with how bad he is on defense as long as you've got the right pieces around him. And I, you know, I agree with you, Josh. I thought he showed out really impressively in the playoffs last year he kind of showed that he he did have a real toughness and greatness and and ability to kind of step up in big moments in his character and in his nature that yeah i mean he's look i, I think he's he's an all-star for a reason and, and jalen brown's not an all-star for a reason this year so um or unlikely to be an all-star this year so uh if I was Boston, I'd probably do the trade. I don't think Atlanta gets past, you know, I don't, I don't think you finish the, the offer uh, from Boston to Atlanta before Atlanta hangs up the phone, um, <laughs> to be honest. So yeah, I, I think, I think Trey Brown or Trey, Trey Brown, uh, <laughs> Trey Young is effectively untouchable for Atlanta. Uh, Jalen Brown is untouchable ish. Uh, but, but, of the two, I would say Jalen is far more likely to be traded than Trey Trey Young in the next like three to five years. Yeah, and then obviously the first game to start the week was against Sacramento, the second biggest win margin in, margin in franchise history. Um, you know, just a huge blowout. A great game to watch if you're a Celtics fan of any age. And uh, again, a team that was missing some some big time players. De'Aaron Fox was not in the game for Sacramento, but just overall, I think this has been a really good week for the Celtics. Um, there's a lot to be optimistic about. We're on a two game win streak for the eighth time this year with Charlotte, Detroit, and Orlando coming up. I think this can we is get really... to the Big Four? Can we get to the yeah. Big Four? We have no. I think we can do we five haven't... in a row here. Whoa. I think this is finally Whoa. the time that we can put together the winning streak that I've been looking for that, to me, signifies that we've actually turned the corner. Wait, we're we're um, actually rounded that curve. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, just in general, lots of storylines, lots of, of, of optimism here uh, from at least the Celtics Pride podcast, which hasn't always been the case this year. No, Jason I literally, I, I don't know if you listened, Josh, because you, you were... Oh, I did. You know, you, yeah, the, I, had to, I had to talk your twin... Uh, off the ledge of, uh, you know, he was, he was, he's ready to call it quits with the Celtics this year. He's, he, he wanted, uh, he wanted a little, a little break, uh, if not an outright breakup. So he'll be know, back. There's, they always come running back. They always uh, come back. <laughs> but look, Jason Tatum is number two in the NBA in total points. Marcus Smart is number one in the NBA in steals per game. The Celtics have uh, a point differential of a 59-win team when Marcus Smart plays the point guard spot, according to Cleaning the Glass's position estimates. Jalen Brown is potentially going to get a snub for the All-Star game, which to me means that he's going to have reason to be hungry in the second half of the year. Um, I'm actually kind of looking forward to going into an All-Star break where we can regroup a little bit 
and 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 their storylines abound. Uh, so thanks for listening to Celtics Pride on Celtics Blog. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at the Celtics Pride Pod at Celtics Pride Pod, or individually at Mike Minkoff NBA or at Coach Mo Tanko. 